Good morning. It's me over here at the piano. Good morning. <laughs> I'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we worship our God together. 1 John 3, in the very beginning of the chapter, is one of my favorite parts. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure.
thing it is to be called your children, to be sons and daughters of the King. Help us, Lord, when we are tempted to believe the lies that we are less than who we are, that we have to somehow earn the right to come into your presence. Fill us with the truth that you have made us worthy. You call us to yourself. You pursue us. You pray for us. Help us to know, God. Help us to know your unrelenting, unending, passionate love for us, your children. Help us, God. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. Oh 
Father, it is an awesome thing to come to worship you, to come into your presence and know that you invite us, you are pleased with us, you delight in us, you're present with us. We declare that you are the king, our champion, and we come to worship you. Father, part of our worship is to bring before you the concerns of our lives and those we love in this world. Because we are declaring that you care about everything going on. And you are at work in everything that is going on. And we lay all of these things at your feet, knowing that you hear us and that you are answering. And so this morning, Father, we pray for ourselves. We pray for those who are grieving. I think especially today of the family of Storer Emmett. We pray that you would you would fill them with your comfort and your peace. And, and we pray this for all who are grieving. We pray for your, your healing power at work in all who are struggling with health issues. Some of us are struggling with Issues, those we love, those connected to us. We pray for your healing grace in each one of them. Father, we pray as, as we are embarking on a new school year that you would help us to enter into this year thinking about you and engaging you and wanting you. We pray that you will bless our relationships and that you will bring healing to all that might be broken and encouragement where we might feel despair. We pray, Father, for this church. We thank you for the ministries of the church and the way that our souls are fed and nurtured in serving each other here. As we are beginning new ministries, we pray that you will work miraculously in in helping us to disciple one another and to care for one another. We pray, Father, for the ministries of other churches around us. We think especially today of the Levant Wesleyan Church and Falconer and Pastor Al Myers. Pour out your blessing upon this congregation of believers as they serve you and one another, as they bear witness of you to their community. We pray for our nation in this time of divisiveness and, and struggle. We pray that, that your church will be a presence of hope, of love, of compassion, of grace, truth. We pray for the leaders of our nation that they will think more about you than about themselves, that they will think about how what is best for all the people. We pray, Father, for uh, the world. We think of refugees around the world. We think of people going through struggles right now because of, of difficulties, natural disasters and war and pain. And we think especially of the people down in the southern Texas. We pray that you will help them as they're going through this hurricane. Protect those who are at risk. Pray that the storm would end quickly, that the waters would recede. 
and that the damage might be less than anticipated. We pray that you will bring healing and restoration through your church and through others. May you be present there. Father, we, we pray today for your church around the world. Thank you for John Christensen, Sylvia, and their ministry in Indonesia among the Kisar people. As they continue that, as John is there now, pour out your blessing upon their, their conversation and their work. We pray, Father, for the people of Sierra Leone who are recovering from the recent landslide and flooding, which hundreds were killed and thousands displaced. Father, we pray that you will bring relief in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And that again, your church will be a living presence of hope. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for being present with us. As we continue in worship, stir our hearts anew for who you are, what you desire to do in us. We pray this through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. morning. Um, the scripture reading for today is from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. Um, please stand for this morning's reading of the gospel. The parable of the ten minas. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said. He already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be, t- will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is the word of the Lord. We're seated. Take a moment. Uh, share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Nice to have you here this morning. Good to be here. I don't know that we've met. No, we haven't. I'm Ellie Rose.
You stop so quickly. Do you have the eternal clock that goes off in your head that, okay, that's it, we're done? Let me just um, make a few, mention a few things to you that are in your bulletin. Um, next week, Sunday school begins, and so there's a sheet in there about that, a variety of classes. It's a great way to uh, continue to grow in your faith, to be connected in smaller settings. Uh, so if you're interested in that, take a look at those. We'd love to have you. Community members, college students, uh, whoever, your year-round residents or just here during the school year, it's a great opportunity. would love to have you involved. Also, there's a sheet in there about getting involved in ministries uh, from working with children, youth, adults, music, all kinds of things throughout the, the week. Love to have you involved as well. And if you want to do that, just uh, check the boxes on the form. Drop it uh, in the back. There's some boxes back there. Uh, we'll be getting contact with you. And it doesn't obligate you. Just sort of you have some interest. You want to know more about it. I also want to mention to you uh, uh, that, as I mentioned in my prayer, Storer Emmett, longtime member of the community, died uh, on Friday. And so uh, the uh, arrangements for him, uh, the visitation will be Saturday, 4 to 7, at Copley Williams Funeral Home in Fillmore. And the service will be here on Sunday at 2 o'clock. So we want to make you aware of that and continue to pray for uh, the Emmett family. I, I love this time of year. You know, it's... Uh, there's something about summer that's great. You know, I love the little bit more relaxed atmosphere. But this time of year, uh, students are coming back to town. It feels like, you know, we're coming to live again. It's always exciting to see the parking lot filled up after being empty all summer. Now, I didn't always like this time of year. When I was little, I hated this time of year. I hated going back to school. You know, it was one of those pit-in-your-stomach kinds of feelings that I dreaded uh, going back to school. But once I got into college and, and graduate school, I, I loved it because it was a new beginning. It was a new start. It's one of the things about being in, you know, being in an academic setting is that you sort of have this sense of starting again. It's one of the things I missed when I finished with school is that you don't have that. Everything just keeps coming at you, and you don't have the end of the semester, and I can put that aside and take a break for a while. Life keeps coming. And so something about the connecting with that at this time of year. If you're watching television, it's the time of year where you're starting to see these are the new shows that are coming on, or the old shows are starting up again and no longer showing reruns. And, and there's a sense of, of new beginnings with life. And if you're a sports fan, it's football season and all of that happening. And so you have the sense of beginnings, and there's something about this time of year that, that causes us to feel like there is hope. There is, there is something about this time of year that causes us to say we can start new. And I think it's a perfect time to evaluate our lives. What are our priorities? And based on those priorities, what is the rest of the year going to look like? What is it going to look like in a week or a month or six months or years? Based on the priorities of my life right now, what is my life, where's my life headed? And I think we think about that relationally, we think about that academically, and hopefully we think about that spiritually. And one of the questions that I think is important at any time, but particularly it's relevant at this time, is to ask, to stop and say, who is Jesus in my life? What is Jesus in my life? What, how would I assess my, my walk with Jesus. Where do I want my life with Jesus to go? 
And I think this parable that we've just read speaks to those questions. If you've if you've been around the church for a while, this probably is somewhat of a familiar parable to you, though it is different from Matthew's account of this parable. He has a little different, this parable gives us a little more information and has a different focus. In this parable, Jesus says that a nobleman wanted to be king, and so he started, prepares to go on a journey to be able to get permission to be the king over this land. It was not uncommon for that to happen. Herod does that. His son does that. They go to Caesar and say, we'd like to be king of Judea. And sometimes they're granted the request. Sometimes they're not. But it would have been a common thing for the people to whom Jesus is speaking. They understood that concept. That a person has to go off and make an appeal to be king. And often that takes a long time. And so the king gathers around him his servants. And he says, while I'm gone, here's some resources of you. Here's some stuff of mine. And I want you to work with it. And then he goes. What we find out is that not everyone's happy about him being the king. He says the citizens of the kingdom, the the people of the area who know him, they don't want him to be king. They don't want him to be king so much that they send a delegation after him to try to convince the the emperor or or whoever he's appealing to not to let him be king. They're taking it that seriously. I mean, they really, really don't want him to be king. They're involved. We have a joke around our house that I have this reputation for writing letters to companies that, you know, we think don't give us good customer service or, you know, we we feel that they've mistreated us some way. And so uh, the truth is I've only written a few of those letters, maybe a couple, but the reputation is something happens, we get bad customer service, and one of the kids will say, well, dad's going to write another letter. (laughs) I don't normally write the letters. Every so often, if it's egregious enough. But I, I was thinking about that. Why don't I write the letters? And I think it's because it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of energy. Sit down at the computer, try to type a letter that makes sense. And where do I send it? And, you know, all of that. And I realize that probably it's not going to make that much difference. I'm just not that invested in the process. But these people are totally invested in the process. They are so concerned about him becoming king that they are willing to risk, stick out their necks to try to prevent that from happening. And Jesus doesn't tell us why they don't want him to be king, but I have a pretty good idea. It's not because they don't know him, because they're thinking, I don't know if we're gonna, what kind of king he's going to be. I'm not sure. We don't want to take that chance. I think it's because they know exactly what kind of king he's going to be. And they don't want him. They don't want a kingdom based on this king's principles and priorities and purposes. They don't want this kind of king. They don't want a king who says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. They don't want a king who says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. They don't want a king who says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn for the sins of the world. They don't want that kind of king. They don't want a king who says that the weak and the poor and the vulnerable and the, and the people considered insignificant to the world are just as valuable to God as the wealthy and the powerful and the significant. They don't want that kind of king. And so they do everything in their power to prevent it. But there are people who do want that kind of king. 
And when the master, when the nobleman returns, he, talk, he gathers his servants around, them, around him and says, okay, what have you got? What have you done? And the first two come up looking great. They say, look, we took what you gave us. We invested it. We got more. And he says, well done. Way to go. Interestingly enough, his reward to them is not, you did well with that money, let me give you more money. His reward is, you did well with that money, let me give you authority. I'm going to give you authority over all of these cities. 110, 115. And the reason why the reward is authority is because this is not a parable about money. This is not a parable about about what we do with resources. This is a parable about loyalty to the king. This is a parable about people who say, I am so invested in the king, in his kingdom, in what it means to be a part of his kingdom, and the purposes and the priorities of his kingdom, that I am willing to risk everything so that everybody knows that's where I stand. And so they have gone off and they have set up shops. They've invested. They've started businesses. Not easy. When you know that all the citizens around you don't want what you want. Don't like the guy you represent. Who's going who's gonna to do business at, at the, the nobleman's uh, produce shop? Who's going to do business at the nobleman's fur and trading shop? Who's going to do business at the nobleman's blacksmith shop? They are saying, we are with him. And we want everybody to know that. We're risking. We're obedient. We're loyal to the king. And that's the reason why the master, the nobleman, gets so upset with the third guy. Now, he's kind of hedging his bets. When he comes to the master and says, okay, what have you done? He says, look, I was afraid that I might lose what you've given me, so I buried it in the ground, and here it is. It's safe. The master's upset. He's upset because this guy is trying to, to walk in the middle. He buries it so that if the king is given the kingship and he comes back, he can say, I wasn't with the citizens who were against you. And he buries it because if, they come, if the king comes back and he isn't allowed to be king, he can say to the citizens, I wasn't for the king. And hopefully he can come out looking good whichever way it goes. But the nobleman says, look, if you're part of my kingdom, you've got to take a stand. You have to make a choice. You can't play it in the middle. You can't just, you can't walk the, the middle line and say, I'm going to be neutral. Because if Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. My fear is that this third servant resembles the Western North American church. We don't really have any pressure on us. And when you don't have pressure on, on you, you have a tendency to say, I'll do the least I can do and get by. We have been sold a bill of goods that you can be a Christian and not risk for God. You can be a follower of Jesus 
and live however you want to. As long as you say a prayer, then you're good. It doesn't matter how you treat other people. It doesn't matter if you care about the people that are poor and vulnerable and, and needy. It doesn't matter how you, how you treat the, God's creation. As long as you can, you can declare, I'm a Christian, and you can say those words, then how you live doesn't matter. And Jesus is saying, that's simply not how my kingdom works. It doesn't work that way. Kenneth Bailey, who wrote a book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, I would recommend it. It's an excellent book. And he, had a, he helped me understand a lot of this parable. And in that book, he tells a story about teaching some short-term courses in the country of Latvia. And he, at the seminary there, the leaders were interviewing potential students. And he asked them, so what kind of questions do you ask them, these potential students? And they said, well, the most important question we ask is this. When were you baptized? They said, why is that such a big deal, the date of their baptism? And they said, because of this. If you, they were baptized during the Soviet rule, then to be baptized meant risking everything. Your reputation, your well-being, maybe your life. But if you were baptized after we were free from Soviet rule, then we have a lot more follow-up questions to ask about why you want to be a pastor. And I think Jesus is saying, when the pressure's on and when it's not, who's your king? Do you want the kind of kingdom that Jesus wants? Do you want Jesus to be the kind of king that he declares himself to be? It's what followers of Jesus do. We're committed. It's about our behavior, not just our words. It's about wanting what Jesus wants. It's about investing ourselves the way Jesus does. In verse 11, Jesus, or Luke says, here's the reason Jesus tells this parable. It's always helpful when you know that. He says, the reason that Jesus tells this parable is because the people have been listening to him and they sense that he's nearing Jerusalem and that this is going to be a monumental moment. And they are thinking when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he is going to declare his kingship and the kingdom is going to come. It's going to come immediately. And Jesus tells this parable to clarify for them that's not the way, that's not what's going to happen. The nobleman's going to go away and he's going to be gone a long time. And the question is not how quickly is the nobleman going to return or can we figure out when he's going to come back. The question is how are we going to live while he's gone? Are you going to live as if you are a part of his kingdom while he's gone, not just when he comes back? And he says, Bailey says, the reason the the people want the kingdom to come immediately is because then they are set free from having to worry about how they live. If the kingdom's coming tomorrow, then it doesn't matter how I treat the environment. If the kingdom's coming tomorrow, it doesn't matter if I take care of people who are needy. If the kingdom's coming tomorrow, what difference does it make if I forgive that person? If the kingdom's coming tomorrow, who cares if I'm humble? And they are seeing the kingdom come as an escape valve to life's problems and difficulties and challenges. Because they do come if you're going to be a part of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, 
How do you live waiting for me to return? And at the heart of this parable is the understanding that living for, for the kingdom is about faithfulness, not success. Now, when you read the story, it looks like it's success. When he says, when he comes back and he says, okay, tell me, one, the NIV says, what profits have you made? And that is one way to interpret it. But another way to interpret it is to ask, how much activity did you do for me? How much business did you, did you try to transact? And it's, it comes back to this, this idea that if it's about profits, then it's all about how hard did you work. It's about how much did you accomplish. It's about success, the way we tend to value success. But if it's about just engaging people and doing everything you can to, to risk for the kingdom, then quite frankly, the results are somewhat insignificant. Because the call is to be faithful. When he, when he says to them, he doesn't say, way to go, you've been successful. He says, way to go, you've been faithful. I think back, do, do you wonder what happened to the other seven guys? It struck me the other day, what about the other seven? He says he gave the, gave the stuff to ten. We only hear about three. What happened to the other seven? We have no idea. But I wonder, I wonder if the other seven risked everything, just like the first two, but they lost it all. They came before the master and said, look, we tried. We set up businesses. They failed. We made decisions. It failed. We, we, we did for you. We represented you. We did everything you want us to do, but all of it failed, and so we have nothing to offer you. We're sorry. What's the king going to say? If we follow the way we tend to value success, the king is going to say to them, you guys are worthless. You're so foolish and stupid. What's wrong with you? I don't want you in my kingdom. You didn't accomplish anything. You weren't successful. But if the king values faithfulness, I think he's going to say to them, well done, good and faithful servants. Well done. You gave it your best shot. You were faithful. You stood up for me. You valued what I value. Everyone knew you were a part of me. And maybe that's why you failed. Because people didn't want to have anything to do with you. Maybe you made foolish decisions about it. But you tried. You risked. And that's what's important. You were faithful. It makes me think about those stories you read of missionaries in the 1870s, 1890s who feel a call from God to go to Africa or Southeast Asia or somewhere else in the world, desolate places that, 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 that where nobody knows the gospel. And they spend three, four, five, six years getting ready to do that, earning a seminary degree so they can teach the gospel or learning the language of the people or earning a medical degree so they can open up a clinic. And they spend all this time and everything is ready and they go to the, to the docks and they get on the boat and they cross the ocean. Months later, they arrive at their destination and they are excited about getting started. And they start meeting people and setting up their homes and getting involved and getting to know people. And within three or four weeks, they develop malaria or dengue fever. And in a month and a half, they're dead. 
And you read those stories, you think, what a waste. What a waste. I mean, that would be the definition of not being successful. And yet I am certain when they stand before God, he's going to say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Because it's not about success. It's about faithfulness. It's about being willing to risk for the king. It's about standing up and saying, I want the kingdom to be exactly what the king wants it to be. And everybody knows that. And faithfulness means that we don't shove Jesus in people's faces. Faithfulness means that that we don't shove it down people's throats. It means that we live in such a way that people see Jesus in us. They see compassion. They see truth. They see mercy and humility and kindness. They see us forgiving when we have every reason to hold a grudge. They see us failing and asking forgiveness. That's what it means to be faithful. And this is the call of the kingdom. I'm convinced that this faithfulness is rooted in our view of God. Because when you look at this story and the, the, the third guy who hides his stuff in the ground, he, he says, man, you're, you're a tough guy to, to please and I was afraid of you and so I was afraid to do anything. What you see is his actions are based on his view of the king. And I think that the citizens who oppose the king oppose him because it's based on their view of the king. And, and the, the servants who, who do what the king wants do that because it's based on the view of the king. And you and I live our lives based on our view of God. The decisions we make, the choices we make, the things that we do and don't do spiritually keep coming back to our view of God. Do we believe that God is good and gracious and merciful and truthful and compassionate? Or do we believe that God is this taskmaster who is holding us to a level of perfection and you better not mess up? And to take a risk is to put yourself in a place of ending up on God's bad side. The last verse of this parable probably disturbs us and it's probably something our minds go to as much as anything here. I almost thought about just quitting at verse 26 and not reading verse 27, just not getting into it because it's one of those verses you go, really, did that have to be there? You couldn't have ended at 26? That would have been enough, right? God has a way of saying, no, I'm going to leave you a little open-ended here. I'm going to throw a little wrench at the end of this. And he says, bring those citizens who opposed me, those rebels, in front of me and execute them. And we read that, and it really disturbs our sensibilities. That doesn't sound like the God that we worship. That's not the God that we want to worship. Really, that doesn't seem right. I don't have the answer to that, but let me just, let me just throw out a few thoughts for you. And one is that there is a sense in the kingdom of rebels who are leading other people astray. And you've you got to believe that these citizens are so invested in opposing the king that they would send a delegation to try to keep him from being king. They're not going to stop when he becomes king. 
And they're going to try to undermine everything about his kingdom. And there are going to be people who are trying to figure out, do I follow the king? Do I not? Do I want to do what the king wants or don't I? And these people are going to influence them away from the king and away from all of the blessings of the king and life in the king. And maybe it, we ought to think, does it disturb us as much that that might be happening as it does what the king says he's going to do to these people. But also think about the fact that there are consequences to our choices. These are not people who are just off the streets and have never seen the king before. These are people who know the king. They understand the king. They have a full grasp on who the king is and what the king wants, which is why they oppose him. They don't want what this king wants. And they are making a clear, reasoned choice to say... I don't want what the king wants. I'm opposed to it. And there are consequences to the choices. But Bailey also says, you'll notice when you get to the end of this, it says, this is what I want you to do. It does not say, this is what they did. We just assume that's what they do. And maybe they do. But the text doesn't tell us that. And here's the thing about the kingdom of God. The consequences we deserve are often not the consequences we receive. And that, and every single one of us sitting here today is a living witness of that truth. Paul writes to the Romans, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. What do we deserve? Death. What do we get? Eternal life. Relationship with the king. It's the nature of God's kingdom. is grace. And we need grace every day because even in our best moments when we want to do what the king wants us to do and be what the king wants us to be, we are not going to to do it right. And we need grace. And I suspect one of the reasons we struggle with grace is we want it for us. We don't always want it for others. But this is a kingdom of grace for all people. And that's really what this table is about. I mean, this is a table of grace. This is a table that brings us face to face with the heart and the nature of the king and the kingdom. This is our God. This is what, how deeply our God loves us. This is how much our God wants relationship with us. That he would send his son to die for us. This is the heart of the king and the kingdom. And it's this king who says, come follow me. Take a risk with me, because taking a risk with me is going to lead you to life and joy and everything that I created you to be and experience. Will there be difficulties? Of course, that's life. 
Will there be hardships and opposition? Of course there will. But at the core of that, at the heart of that, is the king who is full of grace and mercy. So the question is, who do you want to be king? Of the world and of your life. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the truth that you speak to us and your grace at work in us. Give us a a new glimpse of who you are that we might desire to be faithful. Father, we pray for your blessing upon the bread and the cup, that as we eat and drink, it will be food for our souls, and that it will will bring us once again face to face with the reality of who you are as King. We pray this through Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. On the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar is always open if you want to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we have cups of tra- and tray and of bread, and we're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers here. If you need those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention we practice open communion at the West End Church. This might be the first time you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to God and desire for Him to be King of your life, come. Receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father. Yeah.
Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.